Remote Patrol is sponsored by Simply Everything. Visit simplysyndicated.com slash everything to hear our entire back catalogue, new episodes before they're available as podcasts, and exclusive shows made just for Simply Everything, including every episode of Movies You Should See and the new series of Make It So. This is Remote Patrol, the simply syndicated show dedicated to the finest TV shows of all time. I'm Jason Hawk, he's Richard Smith, and she's Allison Downing. This night we're talking about the final season of Boston Legal. <laughs> it's over already. Don't, don't cry, Allison. It'll be okay. No, I'm not crying about this. I'm crying about what's next. <laughs> you know what's coming? It's not that bad. Okay. The next show that we talk about isn't that bad. Okay. Uh, maybe, depending on what taste you have. <laughs> I believe you. <laughs> <laughs> but we are talking about season five of Boston Legal, the very last one, a truncated season. It was cut down to 13 episodes because David E. Kelly was working on Life on Mars, the American remake. Now, I've I've heard something else. I've heard that it was cancelled and he fought to get the short season to say goodbye. Yeah, that's more or less cancelled what happened. For. Well, well, he stopped writing every single show late in season four, I think. Yeah. When did the writer's strike happen? Because that did interrupt it and was even joked about on the show. It was, wasn't it? I don't remember. All that blurs together for me here. Let's see if we can find out with quick Google. Because this is one of the few, <laughs> lightning fingers. Th- this is certainly one of the few shows, if 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 not the only show. <laughs> that directly mentioned that happening because obviously there aren't that many shows that are that happy to break the fourth wall um, but for those of you who don't remember that was that was a huge thing it was when everyone who deal. wrote everything stopped and there was everything no telly <laughs> there was no telly for yeah. a while um, in terms of effective strikes I think it worked pretty well and so, I, don't know, I don't know whether they got what they were after but I assume they probably did because the effect on on the general public it was quite a big effect I think. Well, yeah. You had to wait for stuff. Two thousand seven, two thousand eight, Writers Guild of America strike, and uh, Boston Legal came out in two thousand eight. The final season did. Right. So so I'm I'm willing to bet within the season five then. Yeah. Um, uh, November 5th, 2007 to February 12th, 2008. So yeah, this would have overlapped pretty much 100%. And that, that just, ca- I remember that causing a lot of bother with it. Um, and a lot of other things. I mean, we got all kinds of crap came out when that happened because they kind of knew it was going to happen. And so they'd made lots of garbage movies and rubbish TV beforehand and kept it all saved up so that they could release it when the strike happened. And it was just all garbage for several months. Quite remarkable. Except for The Daily Show when John Stewart said, fuck it, I'm going to go and do the show myself. Mm. And he did, and that episode was arguably funny th- funnier than when there show. was writers there. It was a great Because show. he's a legend. Yeah, that, that man is just so good at what he does. It's crazy. And that, that was a fantastic episode uh, of The Daily Show. But we're here to talk about Boston Legal. and the. How end. do you think that this season wrapped up then? Was it weak or strong for you? 
it, dep- it all depends on how you take the end of this show. Really, doesn't it? Because it's quite a... It's, I wouldn't have said controversial, because we should say, and this is a massive spoiler then, I suppose, if you actually want it. The way it ends is with several weddings. <laughs> and am I right? Shirley marries... Uh, Sack. Sack. Carl Sack. Yeah. Which is fine. And then the bit that kind of knocks you for six is James Spader and Captain Kirk get married. Mm-hmm. Did it really knock you for six, though? No. Uh, well, it, it didn't me. I thought it was rather beautiful. It was. And it was <laughs> It was done in a, a very unique way in that it was, you know, it, th- there was no mistaking. This is not a homosexual relationship. They're not getting married because they're in love with each other. But they're getting married because they, well, in a, in a very close friend way, do love each other. And Denny wants somebody to be there and look after him and all that sort of thing it's the companionship side of things it's a a totally non-sexual thing it's it is very strange and it must be unique in television in that aspect what are the chances do you think that david e kelly knew that that was going to be the ending from the very beginning because it seems like they had built that entire relationship to be so close and so bonded that that's the only way that it could have ended i i feel you're right that that i don't know how else you'd have ended it i agree I agree. As to whether that was his intention from day one, I, I don't know. I but don't think when you sit down and you write an arcing story and you, you've built characters so well, you understand where the trajectory's going. And I, I'm completely with you, Jason. I think that the wedding was possibly one of the kernels of the ideas that started the show in the first place. So it felt it felt good. It felt right. And... I've never really watched a season without really feeling that they did it wrong or some injustice or there was a bit missing or whatever. I I didn't feel, for example, the way I felt when we watched the final uh, Quantum Leap. There was so much left undone. And even though I didn't want it to go, it it felt right that it had been put to bed properly. I'm curious, is there anything that you would have done differently with this ending? I think it just comes from me not really liking Carl. I, you don't I, like Carl, because that's I not the character I thought you disliked. I think Carl's great. I very much enjoy him as a character. See, I, I'm torn. I'm torn. I'm, I'm always torn with people who have, have been drafted into a do a job that's kind of icky. And that's who Carl is. He's coming to do an icky job. But I kind of resent him for the same reason that um, that Denny must resent him. Because <laughs> he got the girl. But no one but, else was ever going to get the girl. That Denny was never going to get the It doesn't matter. Shirley, it doesn't matter. And Alan was never going to get her. utterly written in the stars. But he's still the guy who got Shirley. I think this show does a really good job of laying out different kinds of relationships. You have your romantic love relationships, your transcendent love relationships, your friend love uh, relationships. Uh, It has your platonic love relationships. And all of these different ones that wrap up in this episode kind of have their place. Here's another spoiler because you do have Jerry and uh, what's-her-face Katie Mm. getting together. And they're weird frenzy kind of innocent love is very different from 
the kind that wraps up with uh, with Alan and Denny. Yes, very much so. So it's this weird striated thing where it's like, here, we can put these people together by the people that they belong with most. And I think that Carl really fits with Shirley. I, I, I agree does. with you. He does. I, I totally agree with you. I think they're actually a really great couple. <laughs> well, I think that the very objection that Allison has, Rich, and let's see if you agree with me here, that Carl was brought in to do an icky job. Well, that's Shirley, too. She Right in the first season, she's she's Schmidt, is what she says when she comes in. Exactly. And she has to do the hard stuff, make the hard calls. Carl seems like the perfect match. You can't put somebody like Shirley Schmidt, who's been built up through the five seasons as this monolithic character, this hard character. You can't put her with somebody soft, like Jerry. No. And it does work. But it's the kind of feeling, this emotional reaction is... More akin to um, your parents getting divorced and one of them bringing home a, a partner that you just do not approve of. <laughs> but it's supposed to be dad. <laughs> it's supposed to be dad. You're not supposed to be divorced. You're something, you know, it's that kind of thing. They do a good job of if it's not Carl, then who? Yes, I know. Because th- I know. there was no it's one like, else there that it could guy. have been. I know he's good and... for my mom, but. Mm, well, what I don't about like Ivan his haircut? Takes. I don't like you had it. Tom Selleck in as your guest star in seasons, what, I think two, three. I can't remember if he was in a little bit in four or not, but he was a strong character. He was a lawyer who he had a long history with Shirley. Why yeah. not put them together? Because, because he's a shit. Yeah, they, they, made a good, they made him untenable in that way very quickly. He was, he was just, he was unrescuable as a decent, likable character. <laughs> yeah, he was. Very early on. Uh, it was the moment that he married a woman who communicates entirely in song, really. That whole fakery of how he just says yes but really means no and he's just fickle and useless and childlike in his decision-making and the, the effect that he has on other people. He's a scumbag. <laughs> I don't like him at all. Shirley deserves better. He would have been a boyfriend I really would have objected to strongly and would have probably told my mum about, whereas uh, if mum brought uh, Carl home... I probably just got him to myself. <laughs> but you know what? All of we this. We should get a fucking haircut. I don't like his haircut. I, it's little things. All of this is the reasons why Denny and Alan get married. <laughs> from, from a writing perspective, what woman are you going to bring in that the audience would be happy with either of them ending well, up with? Well, we can't. We can't really because Alan's a mess. And in season five, it. And we've shown a lot more of his messes. We keep seeing ex-girlfriends who come up who he's still got feelings for and all that kind of stuff. He's a screw-up with women. So for him to have a, an ordinary kind of relationship with a woman at the end would have been completely selling out his character. And the same goes for Denny. I mean, if nothing else, you couldn't respect a character that committed to Denny in that way. Well, because you think, because oh, he's poor a, he's, you, love. You're yeah, going to last about five in, in minutes. In terms of him being a husband, the man's a fucking nightmare. <laughs> Is, and yeah. and so you couldn't you couldn't as an audience member respect the female character that they brought in to put up with him. The only acceptable thing from a, an audience perspective to do, other than what they did, was that they had some bizarre three way uh, Shirley Allen Denny thing happen. Like the final and, fantasy. And that would have been even weirder. It's just too far. You're making too many people's dreams come true there. Rich, I think you're spot on with Denny, but you and I were pretty attached to Tara in the first season. What if they had brought her back? Would she have been an appropriate match for Alan? She was a, a better match, but I think she was better off out of it. 
that said, any excuse to put Ronometra on a television screen, I'm I'm okay with. What? what? I'm with you. Yeah, I think they're both too damaged. <laughs> I think they're both too damaged, and that's why when somebody who's a lot more kind of stayed and okay and not screwed up like Alan comes along, that she just jumps on the white horse and rides off into the sunset with someone who she can emotionally rely on a great deal more than Alan. He's too messed. He's too messed. The thing about Alan is he will die alone. And it's it's a sad, sad thing, but he will die alone because then he's going. But you know what? I'm so glad that the writers didn't go anywhere near that, you know. I didn't want a death to deal with it. Oh, end. God, yeah. That it, would it have ends, been horrific. It ends happily, and that in itself I am pleased with. I, I can't complain about anything that ends happily. I don't think it could have possibly served anything to show one or the other of them dying. No. No, I don't either. We were already told in season five that, um, that Denny's getting worse. You but it, it would have been the equivalent of killing Data in the end of the last Star Trek film. And it's like, it's the last movie these guys are going to make. We're never going to see them on screen all together ever again. And you kill one in the last five minutes of the film. What the, how, how what the hell are you doing? <laughs> what, what, what? That It serves no dramatic purpose whatsoever other than to just upset you at the end of an already shit film. Uh, and so, yeah, they, they couldn't do that at the end of Boston Legal. It would have ruined it. Because, I mean, that's the thing with the show. For all its ups and downs emotionally... It's a happy show. Every every episode generally ends upbeat. And so you, you, that's how you have to end the series. Without a doubt. When did you cry? I didn't cry. You did too. You were a liar. I and you're going to go to hell. I didn't cry. Look, did you cry last night when you were watching Derek? Oh, but that's different. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, I didn't cry. I very nearly cried. <laughs> Your eyes were redder than I was. I was. You know that point where that, that level of manly restraint where you, I'm just sitting here and I'm just looking, but if I have to look away or speak, then I'm going to go. So I'm not going to look away or speak. I'm just going to watch the thing with this stern manly look on my face. And bright red eyes that yeah. are shining, but not dripping, just shining. The difference. I think it counts as crying if the, <laughs> the tear is loaded in the duct and if you were to blink, if it were, would leak out. Exactly. I think uh, that that counts. If, if that counts, then I was crying. Um, <laughs> That's what I thought. But, but that the difference is, is that Derek was a program that was specifically written to make me cry at the yeah, end it of was, it. Yeah, it was very full of pathos, I have to say. It was devastating but, to watch, and that was the point. The final of this. Sorry, do you get it, Derek it was, in, in America It was yet? like a funeral. I, Sorry. Do, do you get? I, I don't. No, I haven't heard of it. What, what are we talking about? It is a comedy drama series, emphasis on the drama more than the comedy, written by Ricky Gervais, and he's in it. And it's about this guy called Derek, who's fifty, and he's a bit special he's in non-specified ways. Learning difficulties, and he works in a, a a rest home. Yeah. And that's what it's about. It's about his life working in a rest home and with all the old people. And the one that I watched last night was when one of the old people dies and it shows his reaction to that and all. And it's, it's just heartbreaking. It's, there are very comedic moments, but it's not a comedy. It's not The Office or anything like that. I think it's arguably the best thing I've ever seen Ricky Gervais write. 
and I, I, I'm a fan. I like his writing, but Derek has just been absolutely heartbreakingly good. Yeah. Um, we'll get a remake with uh, Seth Rogen in the lead role. Say, yeah, there'll be something horrible, <laughs> and it will be turned into a comedy. Uh, but yeah, it's not funny. It's not funny. Uh, but it's, it's got some funny lines. It definitely has some it's funny a, lines, line. and you have to have some comic relief in it, otherwise it would just be far too heavy to watch. The, the line that broke me last night was, mind you, she was always a cunt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. And that came very shortly after that scene. <laughs> it was beautiful. But there wasn't a time watching the finale of Boston Legal where you reached full tear duct saturation. Oh, I was, I was gone. I was kind of fully expected to go. But, you know, when you know you're watching the last one, it does kind of feel like you're attending a funeral anyway. Whether there's weddings going on or not, you are saying goodbye to dear friends. And um, and I, I can't do that without losing my emotions. But I'm a girl, you know, that's what we do. For me, it was the point where Denny was talking about how he had had an Alzheimer's moment where he thought that Alan was his son and how proud he was of Alan. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> And that, that's kind of what their relationship is, isn't it? It's You can't get away from the father-sonness of, of their relationship. Well, there's the age difference and the experience difference, but... You often get the feeling that Alan is more of a father to Denny than anything. Oh, yeah, I was just going to say. It goes totally both ways. Because they're at the later point of the father-son relationship when the, f- the flip has occurred. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think this is something this that happens, happens to us in, all. Yeah, it really all does. Your parents get you through the beginning of your life and you in turn take them through the end of theirs. Exactly. Not me. I've told my sister that's her job. Good plan. <laughs> it's a bizarre thing, though, and it does happen. The day that you hear your parent come out with something, you think, what the hell was that? Oh, dear. And I think it starts uh, with little things, flipped. and it, it, it eventually becomes, and I need you to install this on the computer <laughs> when you come over, and things like that. And you're like, and don't get that, Mum. Don't do that. And yes, Mum, the man said that in the shop so that you would buy the thing. That's right. He wasn't going to tell you that it was a piece of shit. Because he wanted to buy it. That's why you should listen to me. And other conversations like that, I think. That's how it comes about. But uh, Denny and Alan's relationship is after that point. And because uh, you, you get uh, so many episodes are about Denny being of what what we de- what a, a left-thinking liberal person would deem to be of the wrong opinion about something. Whether that be guns or the death penalty or some sexism issue or anything like that, and then Alan would be the one that would correct him mm. over the course of the episode. Yeah. And so yeah, that's that's the nature of their relationship. If anything, Alan is the father. He's just not older than Denny. But Denny's the one with the wisdom of the court case. You know, he, he might not necessarily be able to do it anymore, but he's got lots of advice. And he's, he's his guiding uh, hand when it comes to winning a case that he doesn't see... Um, where his arguments coming from? But the thing with that is, we never Denny never loses a case, and we never see Denny lose a case. <laughs> and we, in fact, we see Denny win many cases. This this is a recurring theme throughout all five seasons that you will reach a point where everybody has lost all faith in Denny Crane, and then he will do a case and destroy it, and then we get faith back, and we go through another few weeks or months mm. until everybody forgets that he can win a case again, and then he'll do another one. Trivia. 
Denny's record in the courtroom. 6,043 wins, zero losses. There you go. You see, you ne we never see him lose. And that record is never broken. Mm. And because, again, that would be devastating to write. Why put that in there? That's that's just horrible. I think they've been kind to the actors. Uh, uh, well, not the actors, the characters. I think they've been really good to them. Because I think this is a show that it's not about... Um, y you know, a lot of shows like to add a dark p period or, or, or have bad things happen to people that we care about. And that doesn't really happen. I'm not saying that every episode for every character is, is, is all sweetness and light. But there's never any really devastating, horrifying moment in this show. There is a certain element of wish fulfillment for young liberals in this show, where everything always turns out the way that you think that it should. Exactly. I like that, though. It's a rare thing. It's nice to see Alan win again and again and again and again. Well, that, that's what we tune in for. We've, we've tuned in to see Alan deliver the long closing and win the case on moral grounds. Even if the person has really committed the crime that they're accused of, we want to see Alan get them off because they were doing the right thing. I don't know. I don't know. Because um, when, when a dirty job needs doing, Shirley calls on him to be dirty. There's a darkness in you, Alan. There's that whole episode where she yeah. talks about yeah. how she taps into that. I, I need that bit to, to do this oh, for you've me because I have can't someone do who's, it. Who's potentially immoral around. Then Alan can do that. He's wonky with his boundaries of what, what's right and wrong. He can twist it to, to win. I can't, I can't remember which episode it is. There is one where they're, they're all stuck with a problem and he walks into the room and goes, well, I'll lie about this <laughs> and then I'll sign a false affidavit that says this. And then we're fine. That, that's the custody that's battle. Why you, that's why you're here, Alan. That's because the, you will just do that. The custody battle where, where he's already set up um, oh, yeah. a sex worker that he's used the services of before to set him up with photographs. And, and he does it again, too, when Shirley gets kidnapped yeah. by Lincoln Meyer. Yeah. Yep. He doesn't He's care. always willing to break the rule as long as the end justifies the means, which is a really weird take for him. Because in court, he always argues that the ends don't justify the means. You can argue what you want. When you just want to win, and uh, I, they never shy away from that flexibility in his character. I don't think you can be a really, really good lawyer if you can't do that. There, there it, what it illustrates is that there's a difference between arguing to be right and arguing to win. My mind was blown once when a lawyer that I know told me that he'll use logical fallacies in court to win his case. And I'd never be able to do that. I would never be able to lay out an argument that is inherently flawed to get the result that I want. Because you can get it past people who aren't up on their logical fallacies and don't spot them. Right. I'd be like, well, I can't argue that. That doesn't make logical sense. Yeah, because you, you can't be a lawyer. I can't be a lawyer. You, you can't misrepresent the truth. So it, th th there needs to be somebody as dark as Alan to, to carry out those tasks. Absolutely there does, and he does it well. He does it so well. Just to skip back to something that you said, though, Alan. Alan. Whoops. Allison. <laughs> <laughs> See how that works You know there. what? I'll, I'll, I'll be okay with that one. If you just <laughs> said Danny, I might have had a problem with you, but, you know. It's the whole A in the end thing. That's all. <laughs> yeah. No, but just when you were saying about Denny, about his political alignment, I thought it was a great change to have wind the show up with Denny being the one who adopts 
the leftist, um, <laughs> completely total liberal viewpoint here. He proposes to Alan, and that completely goes against all of his ideology. Mm. His personal relationship is more important than his beliefs. We, we learned that all the way through with several things with Denny, that he, he ha- is of an opinion until a real-life example of this is thrown at him. And, you know, he's not gay. They're, they're not gay. And he's not doing a gay thing. He's doing a legal thing. So the, the rational part of his brain is still in charge here. He's being rational about what he wants to happen to his estate when he dies. Because no one's got a claim for it, and he'd rather it go to his <coughs> son <laughs> than anyone else. And the only way to, to make that, uh, the, that legal and for Alan to be able to keep all the money without horrible questions and taxation uh, is marriage. And, and to me, I just saw it as a very, very rational thing. Now, if you do look at it as going all the way to the left, then surely that's, um, that's jumping into bed with Alan. <laughs> if it's I, don't, I don't think that his ideology actually changed. I just think that he loved Alan more than he hates liberals. <laughs> yeah, he does, definitely. And it's about securing things after he's gone. So even thinking in those terms, we're getting more, much closer to Denny's mortality, but thankfully not too close. So I don't know what... Uh, it's, it's an odd thing. It's an odd thing, because, uh, yeah, his ideology hasn't changed. It's just what he wants to personally happen. I think it's shifted more toward the middle. Oh, definitely. I think that Alan's been a positive influence on him. You can definitely see that. Of course. He's become more open. He's become uh, more openly amorous. I mean, not not romantically. He's always been a lech, but he's (laughs) freer with his feelings. Yeah. Yeah. But he hasn't shifted to the left. No, he's not going to stop hunting anytime soon or stop carrying a gun. Um. But he's quite happy to be legally seen as a, as a man's husband in order for that man to have his estate. As a Speaking person. of the guns, what did you guys think of the whole China uh, subplot that ran through this last two-part finale? Because I was looking at it from a very American view. It would be really interesting to see it from a British view. Well, it, it's all, uh, it comes from fear, I suppose. In, in someone like Danny, it comes from fear of what's going to happen. And... I think the perspective is changed when you're in what has been termed a superpower. But I don't know. I still think that there's some kind of um, a little bit of concern in this country as well about about what might happen in 15, 20 years' time. And, you know, you'll, you'll hear phrases dropped around on TV like, oh, well, I'll be speaking Mandarin and that kind of thing. Um but I don't think it's as as strong. Um, there was another show as well. But, oh, it was um, Michael on The Office. Oh, yeah, the Chi- Chinese are coming. Yeah, the Chinese are coming. And he was terribly concerned about the Chinese coming and called an immediate meeting of the entire office to deal with what happens when China get here. <laughs> like, there's some kind of invasion happening, um, not an ec- economic invasion. I, I don't. I don't think it ha- happens as much over here at all. No, not at all. Not in the slightest. I, I, I'm not sure of the economics behind it, but I think on mass we're more of the opinion that China own you guys than they do us. 
Uh, Does China act as your lender as well? No. Do they own a significant portion of your national debt? No. No. You see, this is why we don't have the same concerns as a nation. We can't just look at you guys. <laughs> guys, China own you, like, dude. Fucking <laughs> so they you they got you them. in their pocket, yeah. man. Just to go off on a slight <laughs> jag on that, it's not really what a lot of people think because China can, quote, own us all that they want, but by virtue of owning us, we also own them. It's a codependent relationship. Sure, that's, yeah, that's how America likes to keep things, isn't it? Like special relationships. Yeah, and China can't really take over politically here. They can't move in and, and do some of the things that this episode worried about exactly. because we're their primary market. Our way of life funds them. Yeah. <laughs> we, we buy their We're shit. We're their customers, exactly. And yes. you can't piss off your customer base by having um, dodgy human rights records and things like that. You know, we're not going to allow a, a, a social uh, revolution from China. It's, God, it's no. not going to happen. I, I don't know. I'd just be worried about what you guys are going to do if the commies invade. Now you haven't got Patrick Swayze anymore. <laughs> oh, too soon. Too soon. Too soon. Oh. Which bit? <laughs> Cold war. The commies part. You can't say commies anymore. That's not politically correct. Can I not? Okay. <laughs> I, I actually Swayze. just meant that to be a generic communist. <laughs> Pick a nationality, whichever one you want. I, it, was, it was really just a Red Dawn reference. And hey, the people in the remake, they just picked a nation at random. So why the hell not? In fact, I believe if you watch the remake, the bad guy nation varies depending on which country you're watching the film in that makes really sense. yeah they, here it was north korea yeah they did things the the uniforms that they're all wearing are fairly generic and just sort of gray uniforms and all the uh, insignia and flags are digitally added afterwards so that it could be made more relevant to whatever country the film was being released so in. north korea makes a lot of sense yeah because they're really. going to invade somebody <laughs> aren't they <laughs> Yeah, oh. the, the starving peasantry is going to launch a successful invasion yes. in the United States. I, I don't think there's anyone worried about a load of North Koreans parachuting in at the moment. Firing a very badly made missile that might hit something, possibly. Maybe people are worried about that, but... That's more of a concern, I would say. But even that, I've the things I've heard people say on news, uh, you know, American military people, I, I don't think I'd even be worried about that if I lived in Hawaii. Or anything. I know this is way off topic and everything. <laughs> way off topic. Way off topic. The, the, the last thing I heard was an American general on TV going, yeah, we can, we watched them build the missile <laughs> and it takes them six months to build it. And we watched the whole thing from satellite. So if we actually thought there was a threat, we wouldn't let them build the missile. So job done. Really? Uh, sorry, North Korea. Uh, hey, they can't hear me. Uh, <laughs> so, one thing you can be quite sure of yeah um, anyway so back to Boston Legal we did hit the end we we really hit the end fast and hard when we opened up this episode let's backpedal a little bit because uh, we've all been itching to talk about characters that we don't like you go first Jason well you already mentioned Carl uh, mentioned Carl Sack yeah I've just got funny reasons for not really liking him though so I, I'm Prepared to capitulate and go, all right, yeah, he's all right, he's a good guy, really, but yeah, whatever. That caught me off guard because I thought you were going to be talking about Katie. Is she the little English one? She is. I, I really She's don't like her. a mild annoyance. I, 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 there are, I, yeah. 
it falls into the trap that we talked about with you have a character, you need to pair them with someone appropriate. Who do you pair with Jerry? And you need someone who has all the love that Alan has to give and all the patience that Alan has to give, but who has boobies. Mm. So who do you give to Jerry? And so they bring in Katie, and Katie's just very she, she, uh, naive and wet and She's not wet. a very good actress. She's a bit too yearning, too sincere, too, oh, God, stop doing that, looking into the mid-distance shit. Um, I think they set her up as well. I think they set her up to be a bit pathetic and to give her cases that really got to her in a way that none of the other lawyers were affected. Well, she has none of that darkness that Alan has, for instance. She's far too nice to be a lawyer. She's not a lawyer. I don't believe her as a lawyer. She should be some sort of simpering counsellor who who tilts the head while they're asking uh, or saying, well, that must have been really horrible for you. She is the empathetic lawyer that you want in certain cases, but the really hard cases, the ones where you have to take a hard line, where you have to be the bully, where you have to, you know, really argue from a pretty despicable standpoint in order to get the result that you want, she's not going to be the right person. Yeah, she's not. And do you believe their relationship? Do you believe Katie and Jerry? Uh, I, I don't like her enough to believe anything that she's involved in, but if I remove myself from that and try to, you know, go the Vulcan route and look at it from that standpoint, <laughs> they have compatible personalities. See, I, I have trouble I, I with don't the... think I don't think they do at all. I think she feels sympathy for him. It goes beyond empathy. She kind of pities him a little bit and tries to pitch herself to try and find the way that she can be in his life. It's not easy. It's not easy being anywhere near someone like Jerry. So I, I, I don't I don't know whether I believe it. I don't believe it. I that was the you you've reminded me that was the one thing I always felt uncomfortable with was that I always thought there was it, it was a relationship that seemed to come more out of pity than anything else. And you, you sort of I, it made me feel like a lot of the things that you would expect there to be in a normal relationship <coughs> wouldn't be there. Mm. For example a great level of physical attraction and you just couldn't see a woman like her looking at a man like jerry and thinking you know what that is a hot guy i i want to be on that guy well let's assume then that thing, she's you know? really not shallow or picky no 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 this is it's not about being shallow this, this you would I'd totally say that in in a regular heterosexual relationship no not necessarily added the word heterosexual in any relationship you've got to have there's got to be physical attraction what about his previous girlfriend uh, that we see him spending a lot of time with the woman who loves the iphone yeah she was much more suited in terms of her demeanor and mannerisms and her look and her age whereas you know to be fair with katie she's a bit of a soft character but she's a little fitty. Listen, who, and you just let, don't let me break expect... it down for you, right? Katie is so sweet and kind and nice and lovely that Alan would snap her in half if he got hold of her. That's why it, that never happens. Yeah. Okay, so if she can't go with Alan and she's not going to be with any of the soccer guys who, who are the other burly, good-looking lawyers, then she's going to be with the one who she displays the most empathy and sympathy towards. Uh, it doesn't work. It, it's a weird How could his thing previous girlfriend be broken to that extent 
and this one be so because perfect be, because what you what we're doing is we're experiencing this this virtual world with such a limited number of human beings in it in in if if you took all the people for if that was a real law firm imagine instead of watching fiction we're watching reality tv and these are all real people and they really exist then Katie i don't would, think that you can do that though because you have different expectations for fictional characters because of the the, the needs of dramatic structure yeah, I understand what you're saying. The, the point I'm making really is that in real life, Katie wouldn't go out with anyone who works at Boston Legal, at Crane, Paul and Schmidt. She'd go out with someone that none of them knew that she met in a bar or something like that. I think she'd go out with a you male know, nurse. That sort of thing. Yes. She wouldn't be going out with any lawyer, she'd, let, she'd let alone go out with Jerry. The, the guy who provided care to somebody like Jerry. Not, because she's not Jerry. a nurturer. She is. She is, and so she'd she'd choose somebody who also nurtured, I think. She'd certainly be drawn to more that type of character than somebody who needed caring for and correcting and helping socially all the time. They are just too different. Jerry should end up with someone who also ticks, but in different ways. Yeah, I would agree with that, absolutely. You never did really see what he was giving to the relationship. No. Other he had that, that fragile, gentle genius, but, I mean, what what was she getting out of that? <sighs> That's why I didn't believe it. it. Well, it's one of those horrible situations where you've got someone who's doing the nurturing, the caring role, taking on a bit more of a, um, an emotional role with that person, and I can only look at it from a, a worker-client view, because it should be that relationship, but it's not. It's... Um, it's somebody going out with their client, really. And I, I can't get behind that. I can't get behind this relationship. She doesn't care. Well, she cares for him, just like I care for people who maybe need a little bit of social support. But The other half of the issue with the relationship is that while I loved Jerry for about a season, I was kind of done with him after season two. He got annoying. The way that he swings so far, you know, if he gets burnt, then what he tends to do is the exact opposite of what he did before. So we, we get this scenario where he's lost in court and now he's turned himself into this kind of Sam Spade character with this wooden pencil who's just nasty to people because he's not worked out. That it's not about nastiness; it's about forcefulness and and um, and being self-assured and confident and all the rest of it. He's missed that, so he's gone all the way, swinging from one side to what he thinks is the other side, but it's not. He, he's got no filter that says ah, th- that's not what I'm looking for. Um, maybe I'll try just being a little bit more assertive. But I think that Christian Clemenson is a really strong actor, and I think that Jerry only survived because Christian Clemenson did such a good job with him. But those storylines got pretty right. exhausting after a little while because there's only so many episodes that you can train together where Jerry has yeah. another problem where he can't go to court and represent the person because of X, Y, and Z. And he goes running to Alan for help. See, I lost exactly. interest when he stopped running to Alan for help. That because you the, wanted Alan. Yeah, and that, <laughs> that's what it is. And again, with, with Katie and uh, Jerry, it's the age difference. Hmm. And even when you look at the actors, I mean, Tyra Summers, who plays Katie, is exactly 11 months younger than me. And Clement Christensen was born in 1958. Oh, shit. Okay. And there's, there's just, you like, that adds another element of 
no way. No way. That, um, it's no. literally yeah, the equivalent I, I, no. of me taking up with a mentally ill woman pushing 60. No, uh, well, Let's I can... not be hypocritical, though, because you didn't have any problem with Alan shacking up with Lake Bell in season one. Yeah, that was That's fine. That's true. You see, it's fine. And if any of the older characters got off with Carl, maybe, you know, when, say if we, could, if we could mix up seasons and get Tara dating Carl, I wouldn't bat an eyelid because they're both of an equal footing. They're both intelligent. They both don't have social issues. They're, they're both together people. And what we've got with Jerry is someone who's not quite together, who doesn't fit socially, who's got issues. And then Katie, who is just the image of loveliness. And oh. that, That's the thing with, with her character. She's too sweet and innocent. She's far too sweet and innocent. And so she hasn't seen enough dark side of life. It, you almost feel like it's not as if one of them's taking advantage of the other, but as if they're both hiding in each other's uh, dysfunctionality. It's not a dysfunction of hers. She just shouldn't be a lawyer. You feel like everyone who's in the show needs to go through the Alan Shore school of dating before they're qualified to date anyone in the office. <laughs> Pretty much. Mm. I just they, they need to be ruined somehow. I think Katie needs to have been ruined far more by the, the crimes that she's um, prosecuting or defending. And it really hasn't twisted her enough. I, I don't know how you get to be a lawyer... Uh, at that kind of level and not have seen enough to sicken you and harden you and turn you into something. Not, but even before that, I don't know how you finish law school when you're somebody like Katie. I don't know how you do practice trials or anything like that when you're so wet. You Really, what you're doing... Well, you do awful things saying, like property law and... Pretty please to the jury. Please, please see it my way, jury. You, you don't do murder cases and things like that. There's lots of aspects of law that she would have worked in if it had been a bit more realistic. It's the fact that all these lawyers at Cranepool and Schmidt are all murder trial lawyers and this sort of thing. And that's not how law always works. They're well, in order to keep the show interesting and keep the plots interesting, they all had to be generalists. And in reality, if you went to a, a place like this, you would have one set of uh, litigators doing just murder law and one set of litig litigators doing just uh, criminal drug law and one set of litigators doing just civil law. But they you wouldn't have it mixed in. Alan does – well, I mean count up all the different kinds of trials that Alan – practices during the show it's it's ridiculous how wide the scope is no lawyer on the planet would be able to jump from one to the other like that and have a, a good grounding in the case law yeah they do hint at it occasionally that there are other departments of crane pool and schmidt that we never see we we find out originally jerry comes from the accountancy well, law of department he, does. He, he should be there with numbers which is arguably a great place for him. He should be in financial you know. law. That's what he should do. He shouldn't be trying uh, murderers and things like that. Neither should Katie. Katie should be doing nice things like divorce. Nice things like divorce. When, it, when you're comparing it with murder and rape and things like that, divorce is quite sweet. Property law, things like trespasses. She should do that kind of thing. She shouldn't be in the big room. She just shouldn't. Another character that I didn't much care for in this series that we don't... I don't think we talked about him at all, but Clarence? What was your feeling on Clarence? <sighs> didn't they just get bored with him one day and forget he was in it? That's what it felt like. 
He dragged on and on and on and on. It seems like they didn't get bored with him soon enough. Yeah, I I lost it at the Oprah moment, I think. It, it seemed like they just stopped writing him one day. Just no more Clarence. Well, he, him and the girl that he ended up with, oh, I can't remember her name. Well, she was another one that they just wrote out. Well, yeah, they didn't renew their contracts. Um, so their, their stories had dried up kind of thing. Um, I liked Clarence at first. And I liked it when it, uh, when his law skills emerged as well. Um, but there was kind of a bit of suspension of disbelief that this this person just so happens to be quite a legal mind as well. Yeah, that was where it did get a bit crazy, actually. Mm. It's like, oh, and he's a really good lawyer. What about Jeffrey Coho? Because lots cock. of people are split I, I on him. I really like Jeffrey Coho. He's a cop. A lot. We See, are. here's what I'm finding. Guys like Jeff Coho and girls don't. I I liked him a lot. I certainly liked him more than Brad Chase. Oh no! You see, no, I like Brad Chase because there's something in Je- in Brad Chase that you can just look at and think, "Oh, you poor fucker! You just haven't understood, have you?" Whereas Jeffrey Coho has just got this giant swinging dick that he just smashes the room up with. Like, I am here now, I am man, you stop doing what you're doing, I'm going to just kick ass. Now, if you just don't mind, but just stand back and watch me be fucking awesome. And girls don't like that. We just sit and think, oh, you're a dick. See, I identify with both of them. And really, at the, at the, at the core of it, I think that Jeff Coho and Brad Chase are the same person, oh, separated yeah, that, by maybe, maybe different experiences. That, that's the point of their characters. They are exactly the same person. Brad's slightly more insecure. Well, he is, no, he's got quite a few insecurities, but Jeffrey has none. None whatsoever. He thinks he is King Dick. And that's what he portrays. And I can't deal with that because I'll just start picking at his personality for him. <laughs> and so, yeah, I, it's strange, isn't it? How, how women don't like him and men do. They they are the same person, though. I mean, isn't that They're the not. point why they both turn up in Buzz Lightyear costumes and well, things like is. that? It, that's it the is. point. That's the, 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 the source of their friction because they are the same person. They knock heads because they're very, very alike. But Brad has got... Um, insecurities about him you know he's got insecurities about his relationship with um julie bowen what what's the name denise denise he's got insecurities about that you know he wants to do the right thing is he doing the right thing does he love her when you know he's got all these kinds of questions that jeffrey never has never and he's he's a legend anyway you know he's a legend before he arrives and when we meet him we're like oh it's probably true then dick <laughs> i wish that he'd been around for a lot longer he disappears very quickly he comes in season is it season three episode two and then he's gone before the halfway mark of the season i think yeah he's not yeah. in for it not in it very long at all well you, you know you're going to struggle to put somebody in there when you've got alan shaw and somebody like um jeffrey coho is going to dissipate the power of alan just because there's two, there's, there ain't room in this town for both of us, kind of thing. But I mean, dear to Alan, because he's got broken bits. You do like broken men, don't you? Kind of do. Because <laughs> you want to build them back up in your own image. It's a bit of a project. You want to mold them. 
I like the, the <laughs> kind of like the broken bits. I just maybe wish they were ordered in a different way. That's all. Is it a project? I don't know whether it's a project. I just think it's weakness. Um, and, and, and anybody, Who's weakness? Anybody who can show their vulnerability right. is very endearing. And, and I'm attracted to that kind of quality where people can show their brokenness and be okay with it. And, um, and I guess Coho doesn't because he maybe hasn't. And that's maybe why I don't like him. Okay, I, I thought <laughs> we were all talking about me then. For oh, right. Okay. But that, that works too. Well, yeah, you've got broken bits, yeah. Many. If you've got a hunt for a weakness in Boston Legal, I think that the revolving door nature of the cast is one of them. What do you think? Yeah, I totally agree. It has its ups and its downs. It, I, I understand the argument that it keeps things fresh, it keeps things moving, and ultimately you you trifecta of main characters, uh, Alan, Denny, and Shirley. Oh, if any of and that had have been changed, then we would have maybe left the show. You know, if you imagine it in another context, as long as you keep Kirk, Spock, and Dr. McCoy together, no one really gives a crap what happens to Scotty. You it's can replace him every week. It doesn't matter because you've got Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, and that's what Star Trek's about. And this is the same sort of thing. It's Alan, Denny, and Shirley. And everyone else can come and go. There are some that stick around longer and we like them, but really what we're bothered about is is those three characters. If anything had happened, you know, talking about ending it with dying, if, if, if Alan, Denny, or Shirley had died, that would have been... Mm. absolutely gut-wrenching yeah if brad chase dies no one cares mm. really not it's certainly not a well i'm not watching it anymore now i was only watching for brad mm. kind of thing who do you miss the most jason who, who went out the other side of the revolving door that you wish hadn't uh a lot of the early season characters that were just side characters i wanted more of uh chelina mm. yeah, who is blowing enough. No, she wasn't nearly in it enough, but she's blowing up here in the States now. Is she? Yeah, uh, Carrie Washington, I think is her name. Uh-huh. And she's got a show on TV. It hasn't gotten a lot of critical praise, but it's one of those guilty pleasure shows. It's called um, Scandal. All right. And it's uh, it's not a, quite a legal drama, but a political drama along the lines of 24, where it's just too ridiculous to be believed. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, what was in, what's the actress's name? Uh, Carrie Washington. She looks like she could have been a uh, an Uhura. Ah, yes. Definitely, yeah. She was great. She Very was really, good. really good. But she got brought in on that one about the Texas Supreme Court decision. Yeah, yeah where they, they traveled down to Texas in the steps. And, and I wanted to see more of that because she was, I think she would have been a romantic match for Alan. She would. And, and she a could really have taken good one. him. Yeah. She was a really competent liar as well. You know, we've certainly not got the problems with her like we have with Katie or with someone like um, Denise. I think it would have been interesting to see somebody like, uh, remember Garrett the paralegal? Garrett, yeah. I think it would have been interesting to see him become more like Alan or Denny. It would have been great to see that protege coming up, wouldn't it? And, And to see traits that have clearly been imprinted there by either of those two guys. See, he was I mean, one of the... I, I was glad when he wasn't in it anymore. No, I liked him. I liked him. Are we t- well, he had the Wesley Crusher effect because you hated him because he was incompetent. But at the same time, had he become more like Picard, you would have liked Wesley a lot more. 
Maybe so, yeah. There's an, also an element of jealousy. The um, characters like Wesley and Garrett are near the good guys. And you kind of just want to be that guy. <laughs> just no, I, I've never felt guys. that. I, you see, that was something you've always jealous? said about me in Star Trek. You hate Wesley because you wish you were Wesley. Not for a fucking second. Not ever, not once, not even nearly. Not now, not well, ever. Well, maybe, okay, right. It, Given the opportunity, you would have done it better than him. That's what the thought is. That's it. Another one that I was really sad to see go, even though she was a very weak character... Uh, but she had great on-screen chemistry with Alan. Was his secretary Melissa Hughes? No, I agree with you on that one. She was, uh, she was good. She was a, like I said, a bad character. But when you put her with someone like Alan, it provided a great foil to show here's why Alan's messed up and here's what he needs to get fixed. Let me see her. She, she was the main interest in uh, Super Troopers. And uh, Freddie got fingered. Also, she's the girl in the wheelchair. I just oh, was she? Yeah. <laughs> I did never catch that. If you've never seen it, never watch it. It is an hour and a half of your life that you will never get back and you will feel dirty about afterwards. Don't watch it. Uh, the, the other one I was kind of glad she left was Laurie. Uh, the blonde woman in series one. She was just so annoying. Why was she annoying? Little yapper dog. Whined. Kind of didn't like anything she did complain about everything and she got in the way of fun exactly <laughs> you know she brings up sexual harassment uh as a little fucking phrase around the office when really she should have just rolled with it she I, had that permanent grimace on her face she disapproved of everything really it's why and the I problem can... is that she's so pretty she is. She's going to have horrific scowl lines. She'll probably Botox herself up like nobody's business in 10 years. They dealt with that quite well. They dealt with how she felt in court really, really well. She couldn't be around nasty people. She couldn't do the dirty lawyering, and it was difficult, and it was like, this, this bit's not for you. Do something else. That conversation never took place with Katie, and it damn well should have. See, I, I understand the, the way she made me feel as a character is why I understand why Michael Scott hates Toby Flanderson. It's like, <laughs> you are just the thing in the way of me having fun, aren't you? That's what it is. And so I totally appreciate how Michael feels about Toby because it's how I felt about Laurie. Yeah. Just you go away because all these other people I really like are trying to have fun and you're stopping it. So stop. People like her, though, are a necessary evil in a show because you can't have every single character be a god among men. You have to have the men there to show that there's a some sort of a striation, some sort of a difference between them. Oh, absolutely. I, I don't disagree with her presence from a dramatic point of view. I, I wouldn't ever say that she shouldn't have been there. It's just she did annoy me. And and that's why, because, yeah, she, she was the one that just wasn't fun. And am I right in thinking that she actually, after she left, they brought her back to sue or something like that i feel like her leaving was kind of messed up a bit it wasn't really clear she just wasn't in it one week i don't recall um i, I felt it was the first one that wasn't handled well because uh, I, I i do feel that is the other downside to the the revolving door nature of the cast is that not everybody officially left some people just stopped being in it 
It's like they all went to Manchester in EastEnders. You know, uh, it's this non-specific, oh, we just forget about them. They were never here. Who? Don't know. That sort of thing. They've gone to Manchester. For those of you who don't know, it's an EastEnders cliche. (laughs) Yeah. That everyone who leaves the show goes to, quote, live in Manchester. Uh-huh. Uh, we, okay. we don't know. We, it's code for you'll never see them again. <laughs> yeah. They've been caught doing coke in the papers and stuff, so we can't write them in anymore. <laughs> yeah. So because we can't have them on the show, we can't film the ending. They've gone to live, live in Manchester. Live to Manchester. Yeah. Like they've just done with Kevin in Coronation Street and all that. They've done that. Oh, he went to jail. What? Sorry? Oh, yeah, he went to jail. Why is that? Well, because he's been arrested in real life and we can't... Uh, have him in to film the ending so uh, yeah we'll just say he went to jail kind of just got back to the lorry thing as well the one thing i've realized is that she doesn't have a relationship with anybody no she never does although they play with it an awful lot oh, she yeah. has the love hate relationship with alan where she she wants to be debased by him but <laughs> she, she can't bring herself she to cannot be. bring herself to be that dirty she just cannot and even having him touch her would be vile and Un- uh, uh, horrible but she she gets close a little bit with Brad um, but uh, what does that give over about a character really we don't get a chance to see her being warm and affectionate and, and showing um, a, not not just attraction we see her attraction because she's attracted to Alan she just the thought of it is repulsive and repugnant but um, we don't really see her in, in a uh, in a giving love kind of um, way. So I don't think that helps. The problem with it is I see her as an extremely sexually repressed individual. Exactly. Ice queen, frigid, whatever. Yeah. Just too repressed. Fr- frigid, I, I think, is is not too bad a word to apply. And it's not a sort of... Um, it, it's not like I don't want to go out with any of you guys it's just like i i don't like going out with anybody people shouldn't go out with each you other you are a you sexual sh- being you repulse me that sort of thing and so it's kind of, her relationship with alan it, it's kind of like he represented all that she actually is and wants to be but can't and it's as if there's sort of some backstory of a, a very serious strict upbringing in there and no i think it's probably been the other <coughs> way around because when you've had a very strict upbringing, then what tends to happen when you get to law school is that you shag everybody. And she's not that girl. She's far too serious. She's the kind of girl who who considers herself some kind of higher being than Alan. Alan's base, he's an animal, he's a beast. And she's far more evolved than him. I don't know. She evolved to be maybe quite cold. No, I see it as a. She would see herself as more evolved than Alan, but she would be wrong about it and it would be bad for her. Like, the more evolved person in that twosome, I think, is Alan, who is somebody who is kind of not necessarily at ease, but comfortable with the fact that he is a very sexual being and does not hide it and is not ashamed of it because we all are sexual beings it's in our very nature to want to reproduce she doesn't want to be the point is that what he is is not disgusting 
it's that she sees him as disgusting. She's very and moral, it's... though, isn't she? She doesn't like what he does. No, I see. I even don't like that way of putting it because that implies that Alan is, in his nature, immoral, which he is not. It's just that she doesn't approve of him. Do you know what I liken it to? It's the people who who grimace at the existence of pornography. It's like I, I get that you might not want to watch porn all the time or whatever, but the fact that you're like, ooh, porn. That shows to me that's a certain, like, a, a, you've put yourself on a pedestal of exactly. deciding that you are better than other people who enjoy this thing because you've decided that this thing is bad. When in actual fact, it's not bad. It's just a thing that he, red-blooded human beings enjoy sometimes. And yet you've separated so yourself from her and realm, said though. you're better. And for that reason, I didn't like her. I felt like that she she would look down on anyone who was for want of a better word, human. I think we might have talked last week about how it seems like the writers were rolling dice to assign morality points to the different characters because they are all shades of this weird gray where they have great, great, great morality on one hand and on the other side, maybe not so much. They all have that secret chink in the armor where they're highly immoral. And I think, if anything... I toyed with saying that Alan isn't immoral, he's he's amoral, but that's not right either. He's maybe the most moral, highly righteous person of the bunch. Mm. But at the same time, it's that weird darkness that we always talk about that balances it out. He's He's so moral that the only way that he can get the things the way that he wants them is to break all the rules. And he knows that it's a it's a dirty job and it's kind of it, it crosses the line he lives on the good side but he knows damn fine that some days he has to go to work and cross the line and be dirty and bad and dark and all the rest of it are we not all like that though but he is, knows is he's doing it he knows he's doing it he knows when he needs to be that version of alan and i think it gets a little bit more confused when people don't realize that they're changing the way that they are. We are all like that, Rich, but just like a lot of the characters in the show, some of people just won't admit it. And I think that Alan admits it about himself, that he's he's trying to be the best that he can, but he's always going to fail. And that's what sets him apart, is that he knows his own weaknesses. Yeah, he's very self-aware. That's why I like the character a great deal. It, it's, it's He knows he's broken. He can, can point at the bits that are wrecked and say, yeah, I, I'm rubbish with this, and... I can't really deal with this. And it's one of the things that I like to think I kind of almost have in common with Alan Shaw as a character. That it's this awareness that I will try and be a good person. Whenever I can be a good person, I will absolutely try and be a good person. But I am aware that in certain situations it might be required of me and I will rise to those occasions where I have to be mean or nasty or aggressive or whatever in order to get what I want. Yeah. And that's that's what Alan Shaw is. And it's not he's not he's absolutely not a bad person and would not ever do anything to intentionally hurt someone for no reason. But he's quite prepared when he sees it's oh, he'll, needed he'll find a reason. that he will he can and very efficiently and very brutally hurt somebody if he if he feels that's what he needs to do. If that's a job. But he will avoid it at all costs. I'm thinking about situations I've been in at work where you really have to... I, I suppose I'm still on the side of the good. I always, I've always acted on the side of the good, but you have to be the bad guy to somebody. 
and and you have to say no or you can't use the service anymore or I'm going to do this to your medication because you've done this and and you kind of have to just be be the bad guy deliver the bad news mm. and it's horrible but uh, he kind of deals with that really really well <laughs> that that bit of the dog the, the the rolling the sleeves up and getting your hands really really dirty he just does it and he deals with it really really well other people tend to not cope too well when they have to do the hard stuff. Do you think that that's the difference then between Alan and Jeff Coho? Jeff Coho doesn't think that he has any insecurities and Alan knows all of his? Yeah. I think Jeffrey Coho also revels in his dark side a little bit too much. He's, he's a too little eager bit too to much. pull he's it out. He's too eager, yeah. Yeah. He's far too eager to get into that character. smog, it's ridiculous. Alan (laughs) manages to do it without being smug. He he does the job, he rolls his sleeves back down and goes, that was awful, I'll walk away and do something else. He he acknowledges that at least it was a horrible thing to do, whereas Jeffy kind of just has his shoulders thrown back, like, yeah, all in a day's work. That that's the kind of thing. That's the kind of difference between the two men that points Jeffrey out to be someone I, I just don't like as much as Alan because he's not flawed. We don't see enough of them. We're told he's a bloody legend, and then he goes and proves it. And and I need him to be a little bit more vulnerable. Speaking of legends, and I think this is probably a good way to wrap up Boston Legal. <laughs> After watching it for Remote Patrol, I have to ask you, Rich, mm-hmm. which is better, Captain Kirk or Denny Crane? I know the answer to this because you've already answered I it to I me. Have. I think I've said Denny Crane, haven't I? <gasps> yes, you have. Does that bump Boston Legal up above Star Trek? Oh, don't on your be ridiculous. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's a good question. Uh, no, no, it doesn't. It doesn't Because you all. said Star Trek and then Quantum Leap. Um, Where does Boston Legal fit? Oh, that's a good one. It's 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 high up, but it's not it's not top five material. See, I think it's perfect TV, and I do think Danny Crane is the better character. Um, oh, he's a much more interesting character than Kirk. Kirk is a very. It's not just that. It's Shatner. He's. Oh, he's very. He's you, in look, his own skin in this show. You, you, you can't deny that this is a man who is what forty, fifty years older. He's a mature actor as opposed to his first regular television job yeah. as Kirk. And the writing is cleverer and, and much better in, in Boston well, Legal than it ever was in, in the original series of Star Trek. And there's a lot more of a dimension to Denny yeah. Crane. We, and a lot a more dimension to the plot, too. They're throwing a lot heavier material at him to, to react against. Yeah. Kirk was a character that near enough had no weaknesses at all. You know, that it was very rare that we'd see any particular vulnerability to Captain Kirk. And when it was done, it was done as a very special, rare thing. Whereas Denny is somebody whose vulnerabilities and, and flaws we see almost on a weekly basis. Mm. Um, and, and so Denny Crane is a much more interesting character than Captain Kirk. The, the way I uh, kind of imagine it is, right, if ever one day I got to meet William Shatner and I got to say to him, Hey, hey, Bill, will you just do me one favour? Can you just say dot, dot, dot for me? I'd want him to say Denny Crane. 
Yeah. I'm, I wouldn't I'm want him to say anything from Star Trek. I just want him to say Danny Crane. I completely agree. I, I do as well. I don't, even if I had to pick something for him to say from Star Trek, I don't know what I'd pick. You'd struggle, wouldn't you? There, there, there are no sort of iconic lines of Captain Kirk as such. Uh, certainly not to the degree of Denny Crane. I'd rather go out for a scotch with Denny than with Captain Kirk any day. Oh, without a doubt. But then, then it's, uh, I don't think I mean, they'd you both get, probably try you know and get in my pants, but you know... Just like Danny would be far more entertaining. I think, in terms of writing and in terms of what's acceptable from characters, I think Denny Crane is an evolution of Kirk. Without a doubt. Denny Crane is the character that is quite open and obvious about all the things that we make fun of Kirk for. You know, so we, we joke about Captain Kirk. There's always a hot woman he shags on whatever planet it is they go to. And that's, you know, while it's a given for the Star Trek viewer, it's never specifically mentioned on the show. There's never They never arrive at a planet and Spock nudges him and goes, I suppose you'll be getting your end away here as well. Look, There's she's none purple. Of that. But I'm, Denny, I'm one of them. But Denny Crane would say that. He would. Denny Crane would openly go, hey, look, green women, I'm <laughs> up for that. And he'd be off like a shot. You know, you don't get one without the other. Just in the same way that you can trace a lot of modern music inevitably back to the Beatles and say without the Beatles, there wouldn't have been all these other bands and stuff. You know, in the same way, you can't have Denny Crane without Kirk. Okay. That That's, that's what I think. I think one has inevitably led to the other. One is more beloved to me. That's as simple as that, really. I love one more than I love the other. I'm trying to think of what I would want to have Shatner say, because not necessarily Denny Crane. Maybe we're flamingos. (laughs) If I had to really pick, I'd have him say, I'm William Shatner and you're listening to Make It So. (laughs) If if I've really got to pick. (laughs) But assuming we're not doing anything like that, I'll I'll go with him saying Denny Crane. Yeah. Assuming I'm not recording with a decent quality microphone right there. Um, yeah, I'd just get him to say Denny Crane. I think that's a really good place to end our talk about Boston Legal. And if you haven't watched Boston Legal yet, what the hell, Internet? Get on with it. Oh, yeah, no kidding. Go back and watch it. How much do we have to fund to get you to actually watch one of these shows? I don't know. People are just lazy. I think, I think we might have to threaten to sue them. We could get away with it because juries always love the sympathetic story. Exactly. <laughs> we, we've got the legal training now. That's the thing with this show. I actually feel after watching it all, I could take on a murder case and win. <laughs> yeah. Why not? I feel you, like you've you got just, murder law completely worked out. The, the entire case is irrelevant. You just need a good closing. And, and As you, someone who re- regularly le- reads through very, very thick dockets of court materials, this show is very unrealistic. Yeah. I'm quite happy to accept that. Very unrealistic. The court proceedings are in some way interesting or exciting. And, and they always say, we'll adjourn for half an hour. No, we won't. We'll adjourn for about four fucking weeks. You know, we will. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I've, I've picked over quite a few murder case files as they go through the court system. And it is not glamorous. It is not about the Long Allen Shore speeches. It's about a lot of confusing paperwork with Latin words. Yeah. I, I, I think I could have eventually been a lawyer. But 
when I think about the kids who I was with at school who've turned out to be lawyers and barristers and what have you, I, I'm not surprised because they had a, an element of coldness to their character and I think that you've got to have that to be successful. Um, but it does kind of make you think that you've got some expertise until you pick up something legalese and it, it is like reading a different language, isn't it? It's, it always put me off. I'd rather learn a different language. <laughs> than legal speak. <laughs> so there's Boston Legal next week. Should we tell them what we're going to watch? Do it. Yeah. It, the, at Boston Legal was Allison's choice, which means it's my turn again, and I'm going to punish you guys with Lost Girl. Right. We have to find this. Is it Lost the- Girl? It's a it's a Canadian supernatural kind of mystery show. Is it on Netflix? It, yeah, it's all it's all on Netflix to date. And this will be the first show that we talk about that is still going on. Okay. Yeah, that's, right. that's true. Okay, that's interesting. See, so seasons one and two are up on Netflix streaming, and season three just started last month. See, oh. with, with that in mind, I'm, I'm beginning to think my next choice might be another show that hasn't technically ended yet. Oh. Do you want to share? I, I, it might be Breaking Bad. It might, have you seen that Do at all, Jason? It. I watched about the six, first six episodes and said, uh, "I don't, I, I don't want to get into this right now." But that, wa- that wasn't because you didn't like it. It was. It wasn't because I didn't like it. No, it was because I didn't want to be stressed out right then. And yeah. it was one of those kind of shows that it gets under your skin real fast. Oh, it does. And beyond that, it gets yeah darker. And we we could feel it sometimes when we were watching two, three episodes back to back. It was like, no, I need a break. I need to look at fluffy bunnies and clouds and flowers and be reminded that the world's okay again. Well, Lost Girl is kind of like fluffy goth bunnies. So I think that we'll be pretty safe with it. Cool. Fluffy goth bunnies. Fluffy goth bunnies. And and some sex. And some sex. And some sex. Awesome. Main character's a succubus, so that'll give you something to look forward to. Marvelous. Ah, interesting. But we will talk about that more next time. Let's plug some things. Okay, let's plug away. We have Do Ask, Do Tell has returned. We do that live every Wednesday at 9 UK time. So sort of just before this show starts, actually. Yeah. So this, this is our second podcast of the evening. About I'm shattered. 4 p.m.? Um, yeah, it's 4pm Eastern Standard Time, we found out tonight, so that's when we do that. And um, 12 Pacific Time. Oh, you're on fire there. Um, Atomic Trivia War 9000, don't forget, with Jason. It's going strong, yeah. You'll probably hear this episode a few weeks after we record our big super episode 103 special. Awesome. Cool. Everybody everybody aims for 100, but that's so cliche. We hit 103. Yeah. I like that. I like that idea very much. And Take It or Leave It is live every Sunday at four as well. And that's an awesome show. Guess what we talk about on that? Tech. Tech. No, just leaving stuff. (laughs) It's a show we talk about all the things we've ever lost. No, it's tech. That would kind of be a great idea for a Take It or Leave It show. It would actually, wouldn't it? All the tech that you've lost? Yeah. I don't lose tech. I keep hold of it. I'm the guy (laughs) who's never dropped his phone down the toilet or whatever. No, that wasn't a dig at you. <laughs> Lots of pe- It's the most common way worldwide that mobile phones are broken. 
their drop-down toilets. That Don't is put your phone in your back pocket. By, by far, that in a way, that is the, the biggest cause of mobile phone death in the world, toilets. Because it's, it's, and it's not women either. It's men who stand there with the phone in the one hand and their little winky in the other. And you just, and you're not paying attention really to either. And it drops. And, you know, there have been a few 4 a.m. mornings for me where I've thought, hang, whoa, whoa, move the phone away from the toilet and concentrate on what you're doing because your feet are getting wet. Yeah. That was a bit gross. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's what that is. So, yeah, if you want to email this show, then you can do. We have an email address. It's uh, remote patrol at simplysyndicated.com or jump onto our forums mm. and do that as well. Also, please don't forget that we, we do all this based on listener donations and contributions. We don't have advertising on our shows. We rely on you guys to keep us going. So uh, any donations are vastly welcome. And don't forget we have a store with some wonderful back content in all our stuff's available. And I'm hoping that by the time you hear this, Simply Everywhere will be launched, so you'll just be getting battered with that. They'll probably, there might even be an advert for it at the beginning of the show. So if you heard that, great. Uh, so I won't go over it again now. Uh, and I don't even know if it'll be finished by then, because it's driving me up the wall slowly and insane. But I'm getting there. Progress is being... I feel I should justify this every time I'm on a damn show. Uh, yeah. It's coming. That's everything, I think, for now. All right. Well, that's a great place to end. Let's uh, let's see everybody next week then for Lost Girl. Lost Girl. See you next Thanks. week, guys. Bye bye. See ya.